Chapter Seventeen of Flowing Gold by Rex Speech. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. To learn that her mountain retreat had been invaded, and that she had been spied upon, filled Ma Briscoe with dismay. But when Allie found fault with her behavior, the elder woman burned with resentment. "We're queer enough," the girl said, "without you cutting up crazy and making folks talk. If you want to dance." For goodness sakes, hire somebody to learn, to teach you, same as I did. Mrs. Briscoe had silently endured her daughter's criticism up to this point, but now her lips tightened and there was a defiant tilt to her head. Who says I want to dance, she demanded. I can dance good enough. What was you up to the other day? That Delamater man said you was acting plumb nutty. I wasn't doing anything. Where do you go every day, Ma? You stay around nice and quiet till Miss Ring or I look the other way. Then you're gone. I kind of visit around. Who do you visit with? You don't know anybody. Nobody ever speaks to us. You ain't in earnest about those fairies and things, are you? It ain't nobody's business where I go or what I do, Ma declared. In sullen exasperation. I ain't bothering anybody, am I? Don't say ain't, say isn't. For once in her patient life, the mother flamed into open rebellion. Don't don't me, she cried. You're getting that don't habit off Miss Ring, and nothing I say or do is right any more. You mind your own isn'ts, and I'll handle my ain'ts. I got places where I go and things I do. I don't bother nobody. I guess we got enough money so that I can do things as I want to as long as I don't bother nobody. Why don't you take Pa along? He'd go. Then people... Mind your own business, the old woman snapped. She flounced out of the room, leaving Allie amazed and indignant at this burst of temper. That day Ma Briscoe abandoned her mountain fastness. She took her faithful retainers with her and led them further up the ravine to a retreat that was truly inaccessible. She moved them bag and baggage. Of course, there was a scene. The children cried, the women wailed, the men wept. But she told them that traitors had betrayed their hiding place to the dastardly Duke of Dallas, and, any moment, might bring his cutthroat crew upon them. Some of the younger bloods were for remaining and selling their lives dearly, but Ma would not hear to it. It was quite an undertaking to move a whole nomad tribe for there were all the household belongings, the cattle, the sheep, the goats, the milk-white Arabian steeds, the butter and eggs and homemade preserves, and all the paraphernalia of a warlike people. It is surprising how stuff accumulates in a mountain fastness. But she managed the retreat with conspicuous ability. Ma led the long caravan into the bed of a running stream, so that there would remain not a single footprint to guide pursuers. Then she sat in her saddle and gazed back at the silent camping place. Trapper, huh? Come upon her unprepared, would they? Ha ha! She laughed scornfully and tossed her head of midnight hair as she pictured the Duke's rage at finding he had been foiled again and by a mere slip of a girl. This was a good game and exciting, too. Fetch Pa Briscoe along, indeed. Why, these wild mountain folks would kill him. In their present mood, 
they would rend a stranger hip from thigh, if they dreamed, for instance, that she, their queen, was married. Here was a new thought, and Ma's imagination leaped at it. If these passionate people suspected that she had contracted a secret marriage with the Earl of Briscoe, their jealousy would know no bounds. They would probably slay Pa. Ma shuddered at the horrible vision of what would happen to Pa. This was truly thrilling. Later on in the morning, Mrs. Briscoe discovered that she possessed another amazing accomplishment, viz. the ability to walk on a ceiling upside down, like a fly. It was extremely amusing, for it enabled a person to see right into everything. Pa and Allie looked very funny from above. The next day, when she stealthily slipped out of her French window, she found Calvin Gray idly rocking on the veranda. He welcomed her appearance and pretended not to see her embarrassment at the meeting. He was glad of this chance for a visit with her alone. Perhaps she was going for a walk and would take him along. Ma was annoyed and suspicious. She liked Gray, but she was as wary as a trout, and she refused to be baited. She would allow him to walk with her, but lead him to the retreat? Well, hardly. The man was picked, for suspicion irked him. It was a tribute to his patience and to his knack of inspiring confidence that Ma finally told him about Allie's criticism and her resentment thereat. I got my own way of enjoying myself, and I don't care what people think, she declared, with some heat. Quite right. It's none of their darned business, Ma. She thinks I'm kind of crazy, and I guess I am. But it comes from living so long in the heat and the drought, and always wanting things I couldn't have. Always been sort of thirsty in the head. When you want things all your life, and never have them, you get so you play you've got them. The man nodded. You've had a hard time. Your life was starved. I'm so glad the money came in time. You see, I never had time to play, or a good place to play in, even when I was a little girl. But this is like, like books I've read. Are these mountains what you thought they would be? Oh, they're better, Ma breathed. It's too bad Allie's got to spoil everything. I shall speak to her. We won't let her spoil anything. Now, tell me how you play. But Ma flushed faintly, and for some time longer she refused confidence. It didn't matter. It was all an old woman's foolishness. Nobody would understand. Gray was not insistent. Nevertheless, before long, they were on their way to the glen. It was a glorious morning. The forest was beautiful, and as the two strolled through it, Ma's companion told her many things about trees and flowers and birds and bees that she had never dreamed of. Now Gray's natural history was shockingly inaccurate. Nevertheless, it was interesting, and it was told in a manner both whimsical and sprightly. He made up outrageous stories. He took no shame in seriously recounting experiences of his own that Ma knew were wholly imaginary. She told him finally, "'Sakes alive! You're as crazy as I am!' This he denied with spirit. Forests were enchanted places, and trolls dwelt in the mountains. There was no question about that. Most people never took time to see them, that was all. Now, as for him, he had actually beheld naiads and dryads, nixies and pixies at play. 
At least, he had practically been upon the point of seeing them. Ma herself must have come across places they had just left, but probably she had lacked the patience to await their return or the faith to woo them into being. There were little woods people, too, no bigger than your thumb, whose drinking goblets were acorn cups and whose plates were shiny leaves. He showed her how to set a fairy tablecloth with her handkerchief and with toadstools for seats. In a reckless burst of confidence, Ma told him how it felt to walk upside down like a fly and to go bounding through the woods like a thistle-down. Gray had never tried it, but he was interested. Then finally, alas, the inconsistency of woman, she told him all about her hidden band of mountaineers. Now this was something he could understand. This was more his speed. He insisted upon making the personal acquaintance of those bold followers of hers, and upon hearing the whole sad story of the Princess Pensacola. The history of her struggle against the wicked Duke of Dallas moved him. He wove new details of his own into it, and before Ma knew it, he was actually playing the part of the Duke. The Duke, it appeared, was a hard and haughty man, but at heart he was not all bad. When he had listened to the story of his victim's wrongs, and more fully appreciated the courage, the devotion, of her doughty followers, he was touched. For her sake and theirs, he proposed a truce to this ruinous struggle. What kind of truce? Well, he refused entirely to renounce his claim to the throne, but they might share it. He was a handsome man, and no wickeder than the general run of dukes. He would make a becoming husband to the beauteous princess, and if she set her mind to it, she could probably make a better person of him. Thus would the warring factions be united. Thus would the blessings of peace descend. But the princess raised her slim jeweled hand and spoke thus, Too late, Your Honor. I've been married to His Royal Highness, the Earl of Briscoe, and it serves you right the way you'd done us both. The Duke fell into a great rage at this. He refused to believe it and threatened to annul the marriage. Oh, you can't do that, tittered the princess. We was married by the royal justice of the peace, and we got two children. Here was a blow. The duke was crushed, until a happy thought came to him. If cruel fate prevented him from claiming the princess Pensacola for a bride, he would take her for a mother. He had always wanted a mother, anyhow. Lack of maternal care it was that accounted for his wildness. It was enough to ruin any duke and mothers were much nicer than wives. They were much harder to get, also. "'Lord, I wish you meant it,' Ma exclaimed in a matter-of-fact tone. "'I wish Allie were a real princess. Maybe?' Gray broke in with a laugh. "'There you've spoiled the play. The Duke has fled.' Mrs. Briscoe's wrinkled face beamed. "'Think of a great big man like you, playing pretend with a foolish old woman like me. I thought you had more sense.' I live in my own land of pretend, just as you do. Why, I have a real princess of my own. Honest? Gray nodded. The princess of Wichita Falls. Would you like to hear about her? Well, she's small and dainty, as princesses should be. And her eyes are like bluebells, Ma. They are brave, honest eyes that can laugh or cry. 
the sort of eyes that makes a man's head swim when he looks into them too long. She carries herself like a great lady, and she's very cool and bits, I mean princess-like, to men. But in reality, she's just an adorable feminine creature who wants to be loved. When she laughs, two deep dimples come into her cheeks, marks of royal favor. Some people may consider her too stern, too matter-of-fact, but she isn't. In her boudoir there is scent and sachet and frilly ribbony things that nobody ever sees, and flowers from me. She loves roses best of all, and she says she buries her face in them. I send her roses mostly, so they can kiss her cheeks for me. A tiny yellow lovebird in a tiny yellow cage sings her awake every morning. I taught it the song it warbles, but she'll never understand what the little bird is trying to say. Ma Briscoe had listened with rapt attention. Now she inquired, Does she love you? Didn't I tell you this was my game of pretense? Gray said gaily. Do you really think that an adorable creature whose head is full of girlish notions and youthful ideals could care for the worldly, wicked old Duke of Dallas? I am old Ma, and I gone the gate. Shaw, you ain't any such thing. Well, perhaps I'm a better lover than I believe. Who knows? Fortunately, however, it is all just an amusing game. The speaker rose and looked at his watch. It's lunchtime, Mother Briscoe, and I'm famished. As the two entered the hotel grounds, Gus and Allie hurried to meet them, and the latter exclaimed irritably, It's about time you showed up. We've been looking everywhere for you. At sight of her husband's face, Ma inquired, in sudden anxiety, "'What's wrong, Gus?' "'It's Buddy,' Allie declared. "'Tain't serious,' Briscoe said. "'And it is, too. "'He left school. Run away. "'Here, Mr. Gray, see what you make out of it.' Gray read aloud the letter that was handed to him, a letter from the principal of the institution that he himself had recommended, stating that Ozark had disappeared without doing the college authorities the courtesy of leaving an address. Inasmuch as he had never expressed the slightest dissatisfaction with his surroundings, the writer was at a loss to explain the reason for this disappearance. As to Ozark's safety, there was no immediate cause for apprehension, for he had taken with him three trunks of clothing, a high-powered touring car, and a Belgian police dog. But certain of the young man's exploits that had come to light since his departure, aroused grave doubts in the principal's mind of his moral well-being. "'What's it mean?' the mother inquired. "'It means that Buddy has taken a vacation. How much money has he?' "'He's got plenty,' Gus declared. "'Morn's good for him, if—' "'If what?' Ma queried. Gus halted. It was Allie who answered. "'If he done what we think he's done, gone away after some woman.' Some woman? Ma stared blankly from one face to another. Buddy in love? Well, he never wrote me nothing about being in love. Reading a further message in her husband's expression, she cried fiercely, He's a good boy. He wouldn't take up with, with nobody that wasn't nice. What makes you think it's a girl? I didn't say girl, Ma. I said woman. Buddy's been writing to me, and... What's the difference? Maybe he's in love with some nice young woman and they've run away to get married. Buddy's handsome, 
and they got nice women everywhere. Love with all his money, and him only up to fractions? Allegheny laughed scornfully. Gus Briscoe wiped his face with a nervous hand. I'm most sick over it, he confessed. The professor has written me a couple of times about him. But he's gone wild, I guess, drinking and... Drinking? Gray interrupted sharply. Why didn't you tell me? So you gave him unlimited money in spite of my warning? He wanted his own bank account, his share of the royalties. Made him feel more like a man, he said. I never learned how to say no to him or Allie. Ma and I always said no to each other, but it was always yes to them. We never had much to give him, no way. Drinking, huh? Gray was frowning. The woman part I don't care so much about. He'll probably get over that if it isn't too serious. But whiskey, that's different. I'm responsible for that boy, in a manner of speaking. I adopted him because, well, because he flattered me by pretending to admire me. It was a unique experience. I took Buddy for my own. Will you let me handle this matter? The speaker looked from one parent to the other, and they saw that his face was grimly set. Give me my way, and I'll bring that young rascal to time, or... He shrugged, he smiled faintly. Give me permission to treat him as if he were really my own, will you? You got my leave, said the father, but Ma Briscoe bristled. Don't you dast hurt him, she cried. Again Gray shrugged, this time with resignation. As you will. I was wild myself. I think I know what he needs. You can't beat anything in the buddy's head. It was Allie speaking. After all, he's grown up, and what right has anybody got to interfere with him? Suppose it is a woman. Suppose she is after his money. It's his. Men can get what they want by paying for it. An hour, a day, a week of happiness. Ain't that worth all Buddy will have to pay? I'd pay. I'd go through the torture the rest of my life. Allegheny Briscoe, the mother exclaimed. Well, I would. The girl's voice broke. A sudden agitation seized her. In passionate defiance, she went on. What's the use of wanting something all your life and never getting it? What's money for if you can't buy the one thing you want worst of all? That's where men have got the best of it. They can buy love. I wish I was a man. I wish I was Buddy. I'd have my day, my week, and as much more as I could pay for. I'd have happiness that long if it broke my heart. But I'm a girl. It was with sudden interest that Gray studied the speaker. Here was a side to the Briscoe character that he had not suspected, and it gave him a new light upon Buddy. For brother and sister were much alike. It showed him more clearly the size of the task he had volunteered to undertake. He heard the father speaking and reluctantly withdrew his eyes from Allie's flaming face. He likes you, Mr. Gray, and maybe you can keep him from spoiling his whole life. That's what he's liable to do, I'm scared. He wouldn't listen to me. Boys don't listen to their fathers. I'll find him, Gus, and I'll make him listen to me. If it is drink, I'll break him of it. If it is a woman, I'll break him of that, too, for it can't be more than a passing fancy. Noting the tragic concern that wrinkled Ma Briscoe's face, he put an arm around her, saying more gently, Now, now, I won't deny you the luxury of worrying, Ma, dear. That is a mother's divine prerogative. But rest assured, 
but he shan't do himself any great harm. Now then, let's get to a long-distance phone. It was perhaps two hours before Gray reported to Gus Briscoe. They don't know much more at the school than what was written in that letter. He has been going a rather lively pace lately, it seems. Did you find anything out about the woman? Nothing definite. I've put detectives on the case, and they will report to me at Wichita Falls. As soon as they uncover his trail, I'll go to Buddy at once. You're going to leave us? I must. I just received a telegram from my agent about the purchase of a well. It's a matter that can't wait. I can't thank you for all you've done for us. We was in bad shape till you come. Now? Now everything is straight again. That's my job, Gus, to do little odd favors for those I love. You stay here, for Ma's happy, and this place is making a girl out of her. Allie is doing wonders with herself, too. By the way, she needn't be lonely any more. I've talked to some of the guests, and they want to make friends with her. She'll find them nice people, and you must make her meet them halfway. Perhaps she'll become interested in some decent young fellow. I'd like that, wouldn't you? Would ye? The tone of his inquiry caused Gray to glance more keenly at the speaker. But Briscoe's bright eyes told him nothing. Why, naturally, Allie is becoming more attractive every day, and she is going to make something of herself. She is going to do us all proud. As soon as he was alone, Gray eagerly reread his telegram from Wichita Falls. It was from Barbara Parker, the first, by the way, he had ever received, and he smiled at the girl's efforts to be thoroughly businesslike, and at the same time to convey the full urgency of her message. Why had she economized on words when every one was precious to him? By that well, of course he would, if she so earnestly desired it, but what was better by far? than the prospect of a profitable purchase was the fact of her personal interest in him. When it came to the last line of her message, Bob had plunged into a ten-word riot of extravagance. The bird is darling. I have named him after you. Gray wondered if these words really meant what they seemed to imply, or if it was merely her bubbling enthusiasm that spoke. Well, he would soon find out Already had wasted too much time on the Briscoes. A man's duty ever lies in the way of his desire. But once he had rounded up Buddy, perhaps the family would be able to take care of itself. He hoped so, for it was assuming the character of a liability. It was late that night. The southbound flyer had gone through. The Briscoes were sitting in the pleasant parlor of their handsome suite, but they were like three mourners. Ma and Pa were soberly discussing the news about Buddy. Allegheny was staring in somber meditation at nothing. The girl was bitter, rebellious, for never had she felt so utterly alone as this moment. To that question, which was monotonously repeating itself, she could form no answer. Did he care, or was it all pity, just his way? She heard his name and her own mentioned, and she became attentive. What's that? He wants me to meet these people halfway, she inquired. What for? I don't like them. He says you'll get to like them, and they'll get to like you. He says you're going ahead tremendous, 
and we'll all be proud of you. Maybe you'll meet some nice young fella. He said that, did he? Allie's voice was sharp. Not exactly, but... He asked him to be nice to me. He fixed it all up. Is that it? I've got lots of money. Some man will make love to me and I'll fall in love with him. Is that what he said? He didn't put it that way. What he said was more... Allegheny rose with an exclamation of anger. Well, I won't meet him. He'd better mind his own business. Why, Allie, the mother exclaimed, in mild reproach. I won't. I hate him. I hate everybody. Him with his high and fancy ways, the girl choked. He looks down on us, the same as other folks does, and I don't blame him. He acts like we was cattle, and we are. Her own scorn appeared to whip the speaker into a higher frenzy. Now he's gone off to spoil Buddy's doings. Button in. That's what it is. If I knew where Buddy is, I'd warn him. I'd tell him to look out. I'd tell him to grab his chance when it comes along, if it takes all the Briscoe money and all the Briscoe wells. He's lucky, Buddy is. It don't make any difference who he took up with, if he loves her. Never but once before had the Briscoe seen their daughter in a mood like this and that was on the occasion of their first visit to Dallas. Now they sat numb and speechless as she raved on, playing with us to amuse himself. It's a game with him. He ain't got anything better to do. Why, he even shows us how to dress. With a touch, he says, I work miracles. I transfor transform you from something dark and common into a thing of passion. Passion. What the hell does he know about passion? He's a doctor, he is, cutting up a live dog to see what ails it. A live dog that's tied down, cutting it up. Oh, my God, I wish I was Buddy. It was several moments after the door of Allie's room had slammed behind her before Gus Briscoe spoke, and then it was with a deep sigh. I've been afraid of something like this, Ma. I reckon we're going to pay dear for our money before we get through and him with a princess in Wichita Falls, the mother quavered. End of chapter 17